So we've been in a series since uh, since the beginning of the new year called A Brand New You. And um, we're looking at just the idea, I mean, let's be honest, usually at this time of year we're thinking about um, New Year's resolutions and areas in our lives that we need to change and we're setting goals and and uh, oftentimes it's those goals that we set with great intentions that usually kind of fall off the cliff a little bit come the end of January. And uh, and so we've been we've been really just taking a fresh look at this idea is what does it mean to change? And the fact is, is that every single one of us can experience a brand new you. Last week we talked about um, the, the do-over. And, you know, how many of you, when you were playing kids, you had the do-over rule, right? At any point, at any moment, you could do-over and you just got a fresh start. Well, we all know as adults that life just doesn't happen that way. You don't really just get do-overs. You don't get to say, okay, that conversation didn't really happen. Okay, honey, I know I said some things I shouldn't have. You shall forget it. You know, you can't do the Jedi mind trick on people and just wipe it away. There's consequences to the things that we do, but you can get a fresh start. You can go through it. You can have God walk you through whatever you're facing in life. You can't can't get a do-over, but you can become forgiven. And so we talked about that idea, and if you weren't here last week, um, that sermon is, is posted on our website, um, discoverone.net. Just go on there, take a look at it, listen, not take a look, but listen to it and kind of get caught up on where we are. This week, we're talking about the mirror experiences. Um, how many of you, when you were a kid, used to go to like the state fair or the county fair, you know, when the, they'd come rolling up, you know, into your town? They always had the fun house. Anybody been into a fun house before as a kid? Just a few of you. Ah, I mean, you've you've seen a fun house, right? It's like this big trailer. You go in it, and you know they have sliding they have sliding floors that can just throw you off. They have the big barrel that you have to go through. I saw this really cute video online with this little girl in a barrel. Can you guys throw that up real quick? This is a fun house. The very end. All you have to do is make it through the tunnel. Crawl. Get in there. Crawl. Get on there. I can do this. Come on, so we can ride more rides. You gotta crawl. Okay, I'll go yeah, for it. Yeah, Naya's got it. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the boy thinks it's hilarious, right? I ain't going in. Can't pay me enough money. Oh I like that, mommy. I like it. Come on. If she only knew what could have happened, right? All right, that's good. Yeah, you guys remember it now, right? Well, usually in a fun house, there were the fun mirrors. You know, you'd stand in front of one mirror and it'd make you look short and fat, right? You stand in front of a new mirror and it makes you look tall and skinny. One of them, you know, like did your body like in a figure eight. It was, they were fun mirrors. I don't know if any of you watch Shark Tank. Can you, we have any Shark Tankers in here? I love that show. What a great show. Well, a couple of weeks ago, a woman was trying to get them to invest in her, her business called the Skinny Mirror. And basically, it was a fun mirror. And she was, you know, you stand in front of it and it just makes you look thinner. And all the sharks were just like, are you kidding me? You want me to invest in a product that just lies to people? You know, and she was talking about how all these businesses, you know, purchase the skinny mirror and they put it in their dressing room so that, 
you know, women and people will see it and think they look skinnier than what they are and they'll want to purchase those type of clothes. And I know some of it's like, it's awful. And some people are like, it's awesome, you know, just to feel a little bit more confident about yourself. I don't know. Nobody invested in it. But I thought it was ridiculous. Because we need to see what we look like. We really do. We need mirror experiences in our life. And Jesus tells a story in the prodigal son about a young man who has a mirror experience. And so if you want to pull out your notes, you can follow along with me um, in your bulletin. And this is what it says. This is um, Luke chapter 15, 11 through 20. It says, Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate. Give me my share of the estate. So basically he looked at his dad and said, Dad, I'm tired of being in your home. I wish you were dead. Give me my, give me, give me my portion of the inheritance. I mean, that's basically what he was telling his father. It wasn't a very kind thing. So it says, so the father divided his property between them. He had two sons. So he gave his share, the younger son, his share. It says, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach. This is so gross. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. Have any of you ever seen pig slop before? I mean, that's not, that's not pretty. So he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Now you have to understand kind of what's happening in this picture. I mean, this is a young Jewish man. For, for a young Jewish man, the worst job in the world would be tending and feeding pigs. Pigs were unclean animals. They were, to the Jews, they were absolutely disgusting. You know, they were, they were outlawed in their religion. You don't touch them, you don't eat them, you don't have anything to do with them. And here's this young man, at the very bottom rung of his life. And it's his own doing. What's amazing though is that when you, when you go back and you look at the text in verse 17, look what I underlined and highlighted. It says, when he came to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I mean, you have to kind of picture this as a movie. You know, this young man in this slop mess with pigs, feeding them. And I don't know, maybe he trips to the ground, or, or maybe he's holding those pods, you know, that, that pig slop in his hands, and he, and he sees his reflection in, in a pond, or, or he sees his reflection in the food, or he sees his reflection in some standing water in the mud, and, he, and, and he's thinking to himself, how did I come to this? The scripture says that, that he came to his senses. It's like, where? My life went wrong. There is, I am not supposed to be here. This is an absolute mess. I mean, he realizes that where he's supposed to be and where he is is absolutely off kilter. He's hit rock bottom. 
He sees where he really is in life. And that realization of where I am, of coming to my senses, creates in him a desire to see something different, to experience change. You see, here's the thing about mirrors. Mirrors can be a catalyst. Mirrors can be a catalyst to make necessary changes in our lives. When we see that reflection, when we have that experience, when we really realize where we are, we, we think, I can't stay here. And if I can't stay here, I've got to do something different. But for some reason, we try to avoid mirrors, don't we? Right? We try to avoid mirrors. In, in your notes, I put, I put a few things. You know, I say, why do we not look in mirrors at ourselves? And the first one is this is that sometimes we don't look at mirrors just because we're too busy to look. You know, how many of you would say that you live a busy life? If you're a parent, you have kids, or if you don't, life is just busy. It's crazy. We're just doing stuff and going from place to place, and our schedules are nuts, and we're so busy, we just forget to take time to look and to ask ourselves, do I really like where my life is headed? Do I really like what's happening in my world? Do I really like who I've become? It's just because we're so busy. Another thing that happens to us is that sometimes we're just too lazy. We're just too lazy to care about what we'll see. How many of you have ever been to Walmart and you've seen someone walking in the aisles or any store and you think, I can tell you they did not look in a mirror today? Anybody? I mean... If you ever want a good laugh, go to, go to the website peopleofwalmart.com and you'll be absolutely shocked and astounded of what people will wear in a major convenience store. It's like, are you kidding me? And you just think, what made you think that it's okay to walk out into public looking like this? And here's the thing, is that I know my wife has said the very same thing about me. You know, Jared... <laughs> That's why she's like, you know, the fashion person in her house. She's like, Jared, this is what you're wearing today. You know, sometimes I get free days, but not too often, especially if we're going out together. She says, you're not going out looking like that. Have you even bothered looking in a mirror? Sometimes we're just too lazy. We just get lazy with life. We get lazy with our attitude. And it starts pushing people away. We get lazy with our time with God. And it begins to drive a wedge and we feel more distant from him. We just get too lazy to look. Here's another thing. Is that sometimes we're too afraid of what we might see. Look, I'm going to be honest. There are long stretches at life in my home where I don't look in the mirror unless I have to. Because I know what I'm going to see. And I'm afraid. I don't want to see it. You know, some of us have this philosophy about doctors, right? You know, I don't want to go to a doctor. They may tell me that something's really wrong. And so we just don't go. That's those mirror experiences. It's seeing the scale and our life, you know, in our, in our bathroom and just like, okay, I'm going to put that in a closet, right? Because I don't want to accidentally step on it and see the number. <laughs> and so we just, we avoid it because we're afraid of what's going to be revealed. Here's the last thought. Is that sometimes we avoid them because we're too ashamed of what we know we'll see. Shame is a powerful motivator in our lives. It's that we avoid that scale at home, which is a mirror for us, because we know what it's going to say. And when we know what's going to when we when we finally face the truth of what that scale is going to tell us, we 
feel shame. And so we don't, so we avoid the mirrors. We avoid that self-reflection because we kind of have an idea of what we're going to see. And, and we don't really want to see it because it, it's going to make us feel bad about ourselves. And so we, so we, so we flee those mirrors. We turn them around. We put them in the closet. You know, we, we avoid those things happening in our lives because we just don't want to admit it. How many of you, one of those kind of resonated a little bit within your life? Yeah. Yeah. So, so what do we need to know about mirror experiences? What do we need to know? What does the prodigal son story tell us? The first thing is this, is that we, I've, I've said this a few times so far this year, and I'm going to keep drilling it because it's so important. We can't go where we want to go until we can get honest about where we are. Right? We can't go where we want to go until we get honest about where we are in life. Look, I, sometimes I don't like to admit where my life is at. I don't like to open the credit card statement and realize what I spent on Christmas. You know, I don't want to make that realization come true. But here's the deal, is that I can't become, and neither can you, you can't become all that God has intended you to be until you're willing to take a good, hard look at where you currently are. We went to, uh, Haley and I went to the mall. I think it was in, when did we get your phone fixed, babe? November, October, which time? Yeah, which time when she shattered the face of her phone? Um, and we went to the Apple store, right? And um, we got there like five minutes before our appointment. And, um, and they said, well, we're just running behind. It's going to be another 40, 45 minutes. You can either, you know, go home and make another appointment earlier in the day, or you can wait. We're like, we're wait. We don't have anything else to do. And so we went outside, and, and I kind of like to people watch. And so we, we were at the, what's the mall, the outdoor mall at the 202? Santan, Santan Village, right? So we're there at Santan Village at the Apple Store, and we sit down in front of one of the kiosks underneath the umbrella. And it's just really interesting to watch people go by. And, and when I went to that kiosk earlier to find a place that we were going to eat, I was like, this thing's kind of confusing. It was just a confusing map of trying to find all the different locations of the restaurants for our first time there. And so as we were sitting there, it's, it's like we kept watching person after person go up to this kiosk and just stand there with their hands on their hips trying to do, you know, this number, discovering where they want to go. And one person in the group would point this way, and they'd say, no, one point would point this way, another person would point this way. And after a while, it was just kind of humorous. And while we were leaving, there was this group of four, you know, four people standing there, and they couldn't figure out where their place was. And so, you know, me just being me, I just walked up to them and said, are you looking for a certain store? They're like, yeah, we know where the store is, but, but we don't know where we are. They couldn't find the little button that said, you are here. And I, and I finally, I said, well, I, I had troubles with that earlier. You're right here. And I pointed them to the red circle on the map and said, this is where you are. And where you want to go is just right up there and around the corner. It's not that hard. And they're like, thank you. But here's the deal, is they couldn't get there until they figured out where here was. You get this, right? I've been saying it over and over and over again. Because it's so important when you want to create change in your life, or when you want to allow God to create change in your life, you have to be honest about where here is. And that's what mirrors do. The prodigal son's story. Go back and look at it. 
There's a fascinating thing that he says. Verse 17 says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Say these next four words with me. And here I am. Say it again. And here I am. He gets to a place where he just says, this is what my dad's servants have. They live much better than this. And, and here I am in a pigsty up to my knees in mud, thinking about eating this, this, this junk, this slop, these pods. Here I am. We have to be willing to say, here I am. And that's what mirrors do for us. They say, here you are. You're here. Look at the scripture I put in your notes, Proverbs 14.8. It says, the prudent understand where they were going. But what do the fools do? But fools deceive themselves. They deceive themselves. They they don't want to admit where they are. So so we can't go where we want to go until we get honest about where we are. Here's a second thought. Is that if we want to have a mirror experience, then we need to seek out and embrace mirror opportunities or have them forced upon you. You either seek out and embrace mirror opportunities or have them forced upon you. I read this really cool article, I think it was in the Huffington Post, about a sociologist by the name of Kirsten Grise. Just Google her name sometime. Absolutely fascinating. She has her PhD in sociology, and she decided that she wanted to go a full year without looking in a mirror. She's like, I, she said, the, the pressure on women is just too great. You know, we spend so much time, you know, you know doing it up and look, trying to look right. She said that studies show that an average woman spends five days a year staring at a mirror. That's five days that you spend st- standing in front of a mirror trying to, to look, you know, how you want to look. And she's like, I don't, I don't want to do that. And so for a whole year, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to avoid it. And one of the things that she discovered, well, the reason that she did it was that she was getting married. She was getting married six months into the, into the, into the process, into the study, and she knew what those six months would have been like if she would have stood in front of a mirror every single day thinking, man, I need to lose a little bit of weight here. I need to do this. I need to do that. Think about this woman going to try on her wedding dress without looking in a mirror. It's absolutely nuts. How many women would want to do that in the room? No, not, well, I wouldn't because I'm not a woman, but I'm sure you wouldn't want to do that. It's absolutely crazy. And she just said, the reason I felt like this was so important for us to study it is because we, we, our society as a whole spends so much time thinking about the outward and the appearance and all this stuff that we become obsessed about it. But I wanted to respond to her and just say, look, I know it's an issue and I agree it's a problem, but mirrors are good things. They're good. They help me to be who I want to be and they help me to go where I want to go. Look, I'll never know if I have a boogie hanging out of my nose unless I see a mirror, right? She said, she said one of the things, she said the hardest thing about not having a mirror for a year was trusting my friends around me to tell me when I had something wrong with my face. She said she just didn't ever, she really, not even a compact, you know, to see, oh, is everything okay? She just said she just didn't do it. She just didn't do it. So the deal is, is that we have to we have to seek out and embrace those mirror opportunities, or or life will force them on you. 
So what are some mirrors that can help us to see? The first thing I put in your notes is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a mirror that helps us to see our true selves. Psalms 139. If you want to look in your Bibles, verse 23 and 24, listen to what it says. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. What's interesting about, about David writing that, search me, O God, and know my heart, it's like he's asking God, the first time you read it, you think it's like he's given God permission to know who he is, to look at his life. But what's funny is that earlier in Psalms 139, he's already written about the fact that God formed him in his mother's womb and that God knows all of his days, that they're numbered, that there's nothing that ever happens in his life that comes outside of God's knowledge. And so what David's really writing is, is not God know my heart and know me, but he's saying, God, help me to know me like you know me. Help me, speak to me, God, reveal to me. In that process of saying, search me, O God, and know my heart, you're saying, God, as you reveal to me those places in my life that I need your touch, that I need your forgiveness. That's what the Holy Spirit does. How many of you have ever heard that little voice in the back of your head that's saying, this might not be such a good idea? You may not want to say that. You may not want to do that. Can I just want, I just want to tell you that sometimes that's the Holy Spirit and you need to listen. You need to listen. And so the Holy Spirit can be that voice, can be that mirror experience. Another thing is the Word of God. Psalms 119, verse 11. David writes this. He says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see, the Bible, it's not just a group of stories about people's lives and an account of what happened in the past, but it's actually living and breathing, and it can help us to see things about ourselves. How many of you have ever read something about Jesus, and he's talking to people, and you think, Man, Jesus, he's kind of like he's talking to me right now. This is, this is for me. You know, he said this 2,000 years ago, but as, the, as you read it, it's like the words jump off the page and you realize, that's for me. That's, that's for me. That's God speaking to me. God revealing something about me in his word. So sometimes it's the Bible that's a mirror that helps us to see things about our lives. Sometimes that mirror experience is honest friends. Now I want you to circle the word honest. Because many of us have friends in our lives that will absolutely tell us what we want to hear about ourselves. Right? They just want to tell us what we want to hear. They want to... They want to tell us what what we want to know. But what we really need are those friends in our lives that love us enough to tell us what we need to know. What we need to hear. It blew me away. This, this, This whole truth, in 15 years of youth ministry, this is one of the hardest things I had to deal with my kids over and over and over again. I remember in my third year in youth ministry, there was a young girl in my youth group whose name was Amanda. And Amanda had this friend who had been coming to our church for about four or five months, and she just stopped coming. I said, Amanda, where's your friend at? She, you know, she, she hasn't been here in a while. Is everything okay? She's like, yeah. She just started dating this, 
this guy, we lived in a really small town of 2,000 people in rural Missouri. And so I knew just about every kid in, in, the, in, in, in the high school. And I said, she's dating him? I mean, he's not really a good kid. I mean, she's a Christian, right? She's like, yeah, she's a Christian. But, but he, like, goes out drinking, you know, every single weekend. He's, you know, he's, he's into a lot of bad stuff. I, I mean, I know that the, the last girl that he dated, you know, he pressured into doing a lot of, I mean, he's not a good guy. She's like, yeah, he's not really that good a guy. Like, I mean, have you talked to her about it? Have you said anything? No, no, nah, I haven't really said anything to him or to, to her about it. Why? Well, I just don't want her to be mad at me. Are you kidding me? This friend of yours who you really care about, who's been a great friend to you and you've tried to be a great friend to, you don't want to tell her something that she needs to hear because you'd rather her be happy with you than be upset with you. You're risking her future in her life on your own personal happiness. Are you insane? I literally said that to her. Are you insane? She's like, well, I just don't think I'm going to say anything. Okay. Okay. But, but it's not good. You see, we need friends in our lives that will tell us what we need to hear. I have friends in my life that I have given permission to, to say, look, if you see something that I'm doing and you question my motives, say it to me. If I say something I shouldn't be saying, say something. If I do something, just just say it. And here's the deal is that I really don't always like those people, but I need those people. Sometimes it's, it hurts because we don't like to hear what we need to hear. And so we have honest friends. Proverbs 27.6. It's so good. Listen to what, what, what Solomon writes. He says, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. So we need honest friends. And the last thing that, that gives us as a mirror experience is life's experiences. The prodigal son, he's in the pit, right? He's elbow deep in mud. This is life shouting out to him, Dude, there's something wrong with you. You're not supposed to be here. And the hard thing about life experiences is that you're, they are usually really, really painful. Right? I mean, think about it. The further down the list that you go, the more pain is involved. I mean, when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, it's usually a gentle whisper. You know, it's, it's that, hey, things aren't where there's, it's, it's not that painful. When you look at the word of God, it can be, you know, very eye-opening, but it's usually not painful. When an honest friend says something to you, it stings a little bit. But when life's experience grabs a hold of you, it's like, ouch, city. This is not good. Here's the deal, is that you can choose a mirror, or like the prodigal son, you can have the mirror forced upon you. I wonder if he ever thought how life could have been different if he would have listened earlier. If in that moment, before he went to his dad and said, hey dad, you know, I want all my money, he, he would have thought, he would have listened to that little voice in the back of his head and said, ah, this is probably not going to end great. I probably shouldn't say that to my father. Or maybe he would have gone back and looked at the scriptures and realized that that's just not a way that you speak to your dad. That's not very 
honoring to you, Father. So, so I, I don't think I'm going to do that because the word says that we're supposed to honor our father and mother. Or maybe, maybe he had a friend or two that just said, look, this is a really bad idea. I know you're in the city. I know you're living it up. You know, this feels really good in the moment, but you got to go home because you're about to be out of money. So, so how about you just go home now? But he didn't. And he finally faced life's experience and it rocked his world. You see, you can, you can choose the mirror that you look at or you can let life force it on you. Here's a, here's a third thing. Is that mirror experiences are useless unless you own them and unless you act on them. Unless you own it. You have to own what you see. What I love about the prodigal son is that he got to the point where he said, if you go back and you look in the text, he says, I will go back and I will set out and go back to my father and I will say to him what? Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. He realized, he owned it. He said, you know, this is not circumstances. This is not just a mistake. This is just not dot, dot, dot. I blew it, dad. I am so sorry. Not only did I sin against you, but I sinned against heaven. Look, he could have said this. He could have said, you know what, my stupid dad. I mean, who really gives the share of an inheritance to their kid when they're just... You know, a young man. I mean, that's his fault. I'm an idiot. I know I'm an idiot. What was he thinking giving me all this money? He could have said, you know what, my brother, my brother's just a big jerk, and if he wouldn't have picked on me for so long, I wouldn't have gone out, and I would have wanted to stay home, but he's kind of mean-spirited, so I just wanted to take off. It's his fault. Or he could have said, my friends, my friends that I went and did this with in the city, where are they now? Why Why didn't they help me out? It's their fault that I am where I am. Or he could have said, hey, those casinos, wherever he was gambling and living it up, they, they took advantage of me. It's their fault I don't have any my money. They ought to give it back. But he doesn't. See, here's the deal. is that He owned where he was. And you're never going to change until you own where you are. You'll never change until you own where you are. The problem is, is that we live in a culture that thinks it's okay to blame every other person in our life for what's happening in our life but us, right? I looked, I saw a few funny stories. I know you know this story. There's a woman in Albuquerque, New Mexico, who drove into the McDonald's um, to-go line, or fast food line, right, whatever, in her car. She orders coffee. She orders a hot coffee, right? And they give it to her, hot, the way she asked. And as she's pulling away, she thinks, you know what? I'm going to drive with my knees, and I'm going to take the lid off to put a little creamer in there. And when she puts the creamer in there, it falls out and it lands in her lap and it burns her. And so then she sues McDonald's. She sues McDonald's and wins money for them giving her hot coffee that she ordered. Whose fault was it? It was her fault. It was hot coffee. I don't know if you heard the story about a gentleman here in Phoenix. It's their fault too, right? It's everybody's fault. But it's her fault. In Phoenix, there was a man who went to prison on drug charges. And while he was in prison, catch this, he wanted to sue his drug dealers. And he actually tried to take a case against his drug dealers for taking advantage of him and because he's now in prison by the fact that they took advantage of his addiction. And so it's their fault. And I want to say that's what drug dealers do. That shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. But to him, it was their fault. A woman in Pennsylvania was walking in a trail yard 
with, with, with multiple tracks where trains go to get loaded and stored and all that good stuff. And, she, and she, while she was walking through these multiple trains, she got too close to one of the train tracks and she got hit in the hand, breaking it. Now you have to be really close to a train coming through to get hit in the hand and have your hand broken. And she sued the, trail, the, the, the train company because she said that there should have been more signs saying, warning, active train yard, or danger, trains may be coming. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? When in the history of a world has a train ever snuck up on a person who's standing next to a train? It just doesn't happen. You would have thought the, the horn ha- would have woke a person up. But it was their fault. Maybe you heard the story about Ethan Couch. Does that name ring familiar? He's a teenager who, get, who was given 10 years in probation in juvenile court on four counts of intoxication, manslaughter, for reckless driving drunk on June 15, 2013 in Burleson, Texas. He was illegally driving on a restricted license and speeding. He lost control, plowed into a group of people standing near a disabled SUV, and struck the parked vehicle, which was there to assist. Four people were killed in the collision. Two passenger and couches truck suffered serious bodily injury. And a total of nine people were injured. And in December, this is nuts. In December 2013, the judge, Gene Hudson Boyd, sentenced Couch to 10 years of probation. That's it. Why? And and subsequently ordered him to therapy at a long-term inpatient facility. After his attorneys argued that the teen had affluenza. He was too rich. He, he had too much money. He was too affluent to be held accountable to the choices that he was making in life. And the judge bought it. And he needed rehabilitation instead of going to prison for murdering or for killing four people. Are you kidding me? We live in a culture that says, hey, It's okay to blame your parents for spoiling you. You didn't get drunk on your own. It was their fault that you got drunk and drove a car on a restricted license and hit four people because they just gave you too much money. Are you insane? At some point, we have to take responsibility for our lives. We have to say, it's me. But not only do we have to own it, we have to act on it. How terrible... How tragic would this story have been if this son had laid in the mud and said, here I am, and then just stayed there. Said, here I am. I'm in this mess. I guess this is what I deserve. I got what's coming to me. I guess I'll just stay in this mess with these pigs. How many people in our lives go back to the same thing that's causing them pain over and over and over again. There's a kid in, by the name of Justin Baker in Florida that went to jail. And you know what? Jail can be a mirror experience, right? It's one of those moments that you get it in front of you and you realize, this is not where I should be. My life is, shouldn't be headed in this direction. It's a mirror experience for us. He went to jail for selling drugs to an undercover cop. Here's the crazy thing, is that he did it not once, Not twice, not three times, but four different times he went to jail 
for selling drugs to an undercover cop. And here's the most ridiculous part about it, is that it was the same undercover cop every (laughs) single time. I mean, this is an IQ issue, right? This is not just about blaming other people. This is an IQ issue. How many times do you have to be face down in the mud before you say, I ought to do something different? You have to act on it. You own it, and then you act on it. And you know what? That mirror experience, it's useless unless you do act on it. Look at the scripture, James 1.22. It says, do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. But read the last part with me. Do what it says. Do what it says. It's not just enough to know. It's not just enough to have the mirror experience, to own it and say, I shouldn't really be here. But at some point, you have to act on it. You have to own it and act on it. Here's one last thought for you. Is that we need to use mirror experiences to change your life, not just manage your image. Change your life, not just manage your image. Bless you. You know, sometimes we look in a mirror and instead of like rather dealing with it, we just want to make cosmetic changes to kind of get through the moment, right? Sometimes we say things like, you know what, occasionally I just drink too much. No, the truth is you're an alcoholic, right? Sometimes we say, you know what, I just have a tendency to overindulge the food and eat a little bit too much occasionally. No, you have a food addiction. You cope your emotions with food. Let's be real. Sometimes we say, you know, I just occasionally lose my cool. No, you don't just lose your cool occasionally. You probably have an anger issue. See, what people think is, what do I have to do to get out of the consequences instead of what do I need to do to really change? To really and truly change. It's, It's not that we don't look in the mirror long enough. Sometimes it's that we don't look deep enough look really deep into our lives and feel the weight at where we've gone and how far our lives have gone off track. It's owning our place, owning what happened and realizing how we got there. It's understanding that sometimes we wonder, sometimes we stray, sometimes we get off track, but here's the deal is that we have a God who can forgive. What a mess we've made of our lives, but God can restore. You've blown it. That's all right. But sometimes we say when we've blown it, am I even worth saving at this point? I mean, think about the prodigal son. Think about all the thoughts that was going through. says, what does he say? He says, my dad's servants even live better than this. Maybe my dad will just let me be one of his slaves. Even he was struggling with this place. Even he was struggling... Could life really be good again? Can it get better? What if I get there and my dad says, hey, you're no son of mine. You said I was dead. You wanted me out. Hit the road, Jack. You know, you're not welcome here. You've done this to yourself. But here's the beautiful thing. If you read about the prodigal son, that's not how Jesus says the father responds. If you go on and read the story in Luke 15, what does it say? It says, as the son made his way up the road, 
The father was waiting for him out at the gate, looking to see if he would return. And when he saw his son, he threw up his gate, and he ran to him. And when he ran to him, he didn't go up to him and punch him in the face and say, you big idiot. No, he says he grabbed him, and and he held him, and he hugged him. And he said, the son who was once dead is now alive. He's come home. And he looks, and he says, get a robe. Get a robe and put it on this boy of mine. Find a ring and put him on. It's, it's the symbol, the robe and the ring of, 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 of being his child once again, that he has been restored. And he says, hey, you know what? We're just not going to say, hey, he's back, but we're throwing a party. So find that fatted calf that we've been, been saving for the big celebration. It's happening tonight because my kid has come home. And that's how our father responds to me and you when we return to him. When we have that mirror experience and we wonder, could God forgive me? Could could God ever love a wretch like me? I've blown it over and over and over again. And this parable, this prodigal, this prodigal son shows us, man, that not only does God forgive us, but he runs to us. And he envelops us with his arms. And he kisses us. And he says, this kid of mine who was once lost, man, he's home again. Everything is right in the world. Look at the scripture I put in your notes. Psalms fifty-one, seventeen. It's so beautiful. This is a sacrifice you desire, talking about God, is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. What a beautiful promise that we, when we come to the Father in that sense of understanding, when we've had that mirror experience and we come back to Him and we say, God, my spirit, it's broken, I've blown it. When we come to Him in that, in that attitude, in that understanding, the Scripture says He will not reject us. He will not let us go. He will forgive. First John says when we confess our sin, our Father is unjust. Our Father is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What a beautiful promise. I'm going to ask Sarah to come back up and to lead us in a moment of, of worship, worship team. And maybe this response time can just be a moment of reflection for each one of us. Maybe it can be one of those moments where we kind of look at the mirror of our own life and we ask, we ask ourselves, do I like what I see? Do I like what I see? God, help me to see the true me, and, and do I like it? Maybe this morning could be one of those mirror experiences, and, and not only do we, do we look and do we understand, but, but we choose to act on it, to own it, to not blame someone else for where we put ourselves in our lives, but realize that it's us that got us there, and we can't blame other people for our own mistakes. To take, to understand the truth that your life is your responsibility. Maybe this morning you just need to go home. Just like the prodigal son. You just need to return back to the Father and just discover the fact that as you go home to Him, He's waiting and longing for you with open arms and love poured out. Maybe some of you just need a little bit of wholeness and a little bit of healing to have the mud wiped off, the 
robe put back on and the ring slipped on our fingers. But first, you have to own it. First, you have to confess it. First, you have to admit it. Father, this morning, as we go into this time of worship and response, um, we just open our lives to you. Father, maybe um, for some of us this morning is a mere experience. We've been thinking about places in our lives where we've blown it, we've gotten off track, we've made a mistake. God, I pray that this morning would be a time of confession and repentance, that we would realize that, that when we turn our hearts and lives to you, that you are good and faithful and just. Your scripture says that you forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So maybe this morning there's a few of us that just need that cleansing touch. Father, maybe there's a few of us this morning who we've just been in the blame game. And this morning is that moment where we take responsibility for where we are in our lives. And we choose the mirror that we look in. And we return to you, Father. God, we love you. And we thank you for this moment. We thank you for your faithfulness. And we just pray that as we sing, as we take communion, as we pray together, as we, um, as we just worship you, God, um, that we would fill you near in your Holy Spirit's touch. It's in your name we pray, in the name of Jesus.